we focus on businesses doing three to $12 million in revenue. We're buying businesses that have been around longer than 10 years. The business model's proven. We had raised you know, tens of millions of dollars at that point. I'm happy to have on the show today, Malcolm Peace. He's the president of Setzera Growth Partners. They're currently buying businesses in Texas. You're a little bit of a unique entrepreneur, Malcolm. How did you get into acquiring businesses by the masses? Thanks, Chad. I appreciate you having me. I am um, massive. Wow. I would, I would say that we're in the walking phase, right? So I think everybody has a crawling phase, walking phase, and hopefully a running phase. And there's obviously other models out there where I think people are starting to be in the running phase and they're well-known and what have you. So I, I hope that we're following in their footsteps of sorts. Um, but I think the big part for us was getting more and more uh, granular and fine-tuned around our thesis and what we did um, and how we focused on that. Because in our game, um, getting to a no and turning away opportunities is super, super important and doing it as fast as possible plays into that. And so um, I've had some great friends and mentors and folks um, that I've been able to model after and, and follow. And we, we've learned what that works like. And some of it, given that I founded what we do, some of it is what I want to do with my life and where I want to take things. And the neat part is I'm uniquely positioned in Texas, which I think is the 10th largest economy in the world now. There's plenty of people that are looking to transition out of their businesses. And so we have a plethora of folks to do this with, and we can play the long game. And all that to be said, I think we stumbled into a little bit of luck there, being that the thesis is broad enough and big enough, but yet narrow enough to be able to be understood by the people that we're trying to attract into what we And you're buying exclusively blue collar type businesses. Yeah, I like to explain to you, blue collar, industrial type businesses, anything that gets people's hands dirty. I love it when I see my guys at the end of the day, their hands are so dirty, they can only do a fist bump, they can't shake my hand, like that kind of thing. They've done something manual because those businesses tend to be underserved. There's some obviously industries people have heard of in the past that have been getting rolled up like HVAC and other things, but they tend to be underserved from our thesis. So my belief is that most businesses in that space operate with one piece of software um, typically an accounting or some kind of quoting uh, mechanism of some sort. And, and and they're really underserved to scale these businesses. They've been built around the technician that was the former owner, or they were built around being a vendor for some particular company that's larger than them. That was their genesis, their beginnings. And they need a, they need processes through standard operating procedures. And they also need to be able to create systems and automations and connecting software to be able to grow these businesses at scale. So these are sub $1 million businesses, right? No, we focus on businesses doing three to $12 million in revenue. I call it still micro kind of private equity, micro cap kind of businesses, smaller than small to medium sized type private equity deals. So we can compete a little bit outside. That said, most of them are doing 750 to 1.25 kind of earnings um, at the end of the day, but they are, they're businesses that are, are, are ripe to be innovated, to be brought up into a world where they actually have a CRM and they're actually doing follow-up with customers and leads and things like that. And I always tell people, I don't think we're doing anything revolutionary. There's many groups out there that are putting in scaling systems and they're putting in software. A lot of folks in venture capital and other circumstances are doing this exact thing. So I think we just brought it into a space that I think is right for that opportunity. I get multiple opportunities that come across my desk in a week and I tend to ask, how well can our playbook play into it? And I think nine times out of 10, maybe that's an exaggeration. They don't have anything that we're doing. And if they do, I, I really wish them the best because I want to be able to have an understanding about what the tangible value that we can add into that system to get the return for our time, really what it comes down to. What kind of multiple do these types of businesses trade for? 
They all trade like two and a half to four and a half, somewhere in that space on net earnings. Typically, sometimes they get measured uh, on revenue. It just it, that's a negotiation aspect that tends to happen with the owner, just the way they think about things. But we try to stay within that range. Candidly, there's three options for an owner. They can sell to a bigger private equity group. I mean, get rolled up into their system and then sell in five years or something of that nature. They can sell into a competitor or someone typically not smaller. Typically, it's a larger competitor kind of buys them up, takes on their book of business or takes on the little proprietary thing that they do. And then there's folks like us that buy these businesses established using the established brand and just continue to go forward with that as a holding um, aspect to it. And for us, it doesn't make sense for us to lever the business up to a T. It doesn't really make sense because we want to be in growth mode. We want to grow these businesses with a long-term kind of perspective. So if I just lever this thing up with a lot of debt at the very beginning, that structure may not work out really well in the long-term. So we try to work with a business owner that aligns with kind of our vision of, we want to keep the people in place. We want to hold on to them. And we think there's value in those folks that have been there for such a long time. Let's just structure a deal where it works better for you and for me, and you don't have to rush into a bunch of cash to deposit it into your account. There's different ways you can come up with it. How does one get started with buying businesses? I would get, I would personally stair step into it. So that's my biggest take. I think that the, you hear about these stories of coming out of some MBA program, someone buys a $4 million business and then they grow it to eight and they sell it the next years and they do it again. Like that is like one in a hundred or I don't know. But the statistic is more favorable for favorable to people that have bought businesses over time, operated businesses over time, had P&L control, had to make those kind of decisive decisions, dealing with all sorts of aspects to personnel and marketing and, and, and all the things that go into it. You're the ultimate generalist um, being a CEO at a small business. And so um, I would stair step into it. So for me, the way I stair stepped into it is I was working with two partners and I was a minority partner in the deals that we did. They're still, you know, I'm still part of that. I don't operate day to day, but still have that ownership at this date. And candidly, like my job was to go source new deals, put together some strategy of what we did, and then deal with some of the kind of things that we were doing to get these businesses scaled up. And that was my way of doing that. And so I think that allowed me to see a world into what does it look like to raise capital? We had raised, you know, tens of millions of dollars at that point and going through that process collectively as a group to understand and nurture off of that knowledge. And so that would be the big thing I would tell people is you can go out and buy a business by yourself one time. It might may or may not go well, but if you can do that in a circumstance where you've got some structure of folks around you to help you in that process of learning, that usually benefits you in the long run. So are you venture backed with this particular business type for a year? So we raise capital on a deal by deal basis, but it's not the venture structure. We raise capital from folks that we know personally. We've gotten a relationship built with them over a long period of time. And typically they're business owners themselves or former business owners. They understand what it's like to be in the trenches. They can relate. I can make a phone call for our, a situation that comes up or whatever the case may be, and they can speak to it. I love it. I was talking to one of my investors a, a week ago and he was just sharing with me like, hey, I spent too much cash at the beginning, tried to grow too fast and almost ran out of money. And so there's those things, right? You got to be conscientious of that because you can be this kind of young, ambitious person and want to see all this change happen. But if you do it in a sprint mentality, it doesn't really align with we're going to hold on to this for 20 years. So if I'm going to hold on to this for 20 years, let's play that game out. Let's create the right standard procedures. Let's create the right org charts. We do all that now better. We have a better what I call our 100 day like plan when we jump into it, what we focus on, what we don't focus on and clearing out that noise. Because you can imagine when you buy a business, there's a bunch of employee ideas and other people's ideas that you, you got to make sure you're aligned with the investors that this is a long term. 
How many businesses do you have to go through before you find one you actually want to buy? <laughs> I think I think about a hundred. <laughs> I think you got to look or get real close on about a hundred before you get there. And that might be more. We've done a lot more outreach than just that. We get a lot of rejects, rejected emails or no, no replies or we leave voicemails, all that kind of stuff, just as any kind of marketing strategy. But genuinely looking at a, about a hundred where you get to see some general financials, some sort of circumstance like that. And then just whittles. Sometimes you'll go, I've, I've had it. I've shown up in East San Antonio, a business I still like to this day. Had a great site visit, had a great lunch, had a conversation and get completely ghosted afterwards. All that to be said that, that it takes time, it takes reps and it's not an easy business. And candidly, I was just talking to somebody last two days ago. There's a lot of hidden things in small businesses that people run them in a certain way. And you find out they're a due diligence process and you got to decide, are you going to hang on? And we went through many times where we were under LOI and it wasn't a good business because we found out that they weren't doing X, Y, and Z that they should be doing. And all that to be said, we've got to mitigate our risk when we finally sign all the final documents. And it's a process of seeing a lot of opportunity and hope that you find something really good. What pace are you acquiring at? Is it a few a year right now? Yeah. So we're trying to get to one to two a year is the end goal. So we had a, a challenge that learning, right? We're, I told you we we're crawling and then we were walking. One of the big learnings was I, I bet on myself in a lot of ways in this business. And the way that you bet on yourself is you say, I'll go operate and then we'll write the ship and get the ship the right way through to that transition. And then we'll go bring somebody in to operate. And so 2024, a big thing for us is to be more proactive in our operators establishments. What we're doing now is our general vice president program. And there's other groups out there that do a similar model. We're not recreating the wheel, but what we really try to do is train somebody proactively ahead of time to buying one of the businesses and be involved in what we're doing, be a part of involved in the due diligence process. One, it mitigates our risk that they may or may not turn out to be great operators, but it also allows us to um, transfer some of our experience and things that have gone well, particularly in our thesis of implementing low-code, no-code software into these businesses. And so that's what we're working on now. We've got a lot of great folks on the deck and we're continuing to add to that people reaching out, just hearing about what we're doing. And that was the big learning for us is that it's not scalable for Malcolm to be the operator for the first six months and then replace myself. You got to have a different mindset if we're going to grow. So from the aspect of a business owner who gets acquired, what can they expect? How long do they actually have to stay in the business? Yeah, everything's negotiable. Some cases it's more advantageous for them to be leaving sooner than later. Sometimes it's a better structure for them to be on for a period of time, depending on the technical knowledge they have and the customer reliability aspect that happens to go around their role or the way they've operated their business. I've had all circumstances as from a negotiation perspective, and I've had a few circumstances where someone's left immediately and then also things that they've stayed on for a while. And so my belief is that you need to level up your skill set in order to raise your ability to earn more revenue. I think that Sometimes it's predicated on the business model, but we're buying businesses that have been around longer than 10 years. The business model is proven to some capacity. And so it's really about leveling up that owner, that person driving the ship to be able to take it to that next run. And a lot of these owners aren't ready or prepared to do that, or they don't want to, or what have you. And so it doesn't make sense for them to stay in the middle of the business. Because the business, what it needs moving forward is what we call a decentralized business where I'm not on the org chart. If I'm not on the org chart, that gives me freedom to do certain things. There's the actual org chart that's a document. And then there's the communicative aspects of the org chart within people, personnel side of things. 
And if you can really mirror both of those where you're not the middle of the business and it's not relying on you and you're creating documents around procedures and you're empowering your people to have autonomy and you're creating KPIs for people to be able to be measurable by their role, like all those types of things allows you to step out. And I don't think a lot of owners that we tend to interact with want to put in the efforts to do that because it is a lot of work, but it's the, the core of our thesis to be able to take these businesses forward. What's your end goal after you acquire your 10 businesses? I want to sit on a Texas ranch knowing that I have provided hundreds of jobs for folks who have hundreds of family members that live off of the money that we've been able to generate and, and the value that we've been able to create. The, the name Sitsera comes from my great grandfather. He was in the border of Mozambique and Zimbabwe, and he owned 50,000 to 70,000 acres. It was all measured in hectares, so it's a little different, but roughly about that much. And he employed hundreds of people, provided an amazing product um, to the community. And that's our end goal is to do both right by the people internally and, and right by the people externally, um, providing a great product. I'm not buying businesses that are bottom of the barrel, kind of scraping for a penny here and there. I want to provide a great service and a great product to people. And with that in mind, I think that that attracts certain folks that want to be a part of those types of organizations. And that's my goal is to develop leaders and develop businesses that have that same kind of mindset where we're trying to provide an internal and an external great product for folks. One of our listeners wanted to get in touch, learn more, reach out. How could they do? Yeah, you can find us on sitsera.com, spelled T-S-E-R-A. I'm all over LinkedIn and Twitter and things of that nature. Happy to take any questions or calls. And yeah, we're always looking for business owners in Texas, um, but we're also looking for operators and we're constantly talking to people that want to be a part of what we're doing. So happy to take any kind of conversations. You can reach out a little bit more on our website at sitsera.com. Thank you, Malcolm, for coming on the show and everybody for listening to another episode of Failing to Success. Make sure to smash that subscribe button. I'm your host, Chad Kalecki, and we'll see you next time.